Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. You dig? Episode 22. Uh, I'm just going to warn you right out of the gate here. There, there may be adult language. Uh, there will certainly be insightful and thoughtful commentary. Um, I am uh, Camille Foster of Freethink Media. I'm delighted to be with you today. Uh, I am joined uh, by two gentlemen who definitely need an introduction. You've never heard of them before. Are you drunk? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt Welch, editor-at-large at Reason Magazine, whose voice you just heard there. That's right. And joining us back in the studio, back from assignment abroad, mm, yes. Mr. Michael Moynihan. Isn't it weird how like, the show back. that we had when Michael wasn't here got like the best uh, ratings? Yeah, some of our most incredible ratings I mean, ever. So he is on, I just you say, are on probation. It's, it's, you should it's, know that. The, everything's been going up. So you know, this is not out of, <laughs> this is the same trend, right? <laughs> and then I listened to it and, and I heard Michael Malice and I was like, I don't have that much to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> you are on probation. There was yeah. so much positive feedback. People love Michael Malice. Yeah. Um, so love our, Michael Malice. our special guest for the hour actually has a lot to live up to here. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt that he can do it. Uh, he is an author, commentator, radio host, former CIA analyst, Spook. president of Blackwater. That's not true. <laughs> true. Buck Sexton. Yes. Thank you, Buck. Sir. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> the Punctured. pregnant pause there got me. Yeah, Thank you really. so much. I, I'm sorry. Great, about great that. He doesn't know here. how to do radio <laughs> very well. This is my first radio on the radio. This isn't radio. This isn't radio. That's right. It is a podcast. It yeah. is a podcast. The, Camille, a cooler version of radio. Camille, can we? Um, let's just get into one thing uh, very quickly. Yes. Right now, I am uh, drinking. Uh, something with a wonderfully named Dead Hipster Ale, uh, which, by the way, is really delicious. I'm, I'm, I'm about halfway through a very big bottle of it. Matt is about halfway through his bottle. Uh, Buck has celiacs, so he doesn't drink it. Camille, uh, and everyone's, and, and, and Matt's been drinking before. I've had a few drinks before. But what can you explain, Camille Foster, the provenance of this fantastic booze that we're drinking? Well, well here it is, people. We have... Incredible, wonderful listeners. We do. Uh, one of those wonderful listeners, a gentleman by the name of Ben Price, uh, yeah. sent us a bunch of alcohol in the mail. Um, I, I presume that it is laced with some sort of foreign substance <laughs> yeah. that will probably kill us mid-show. Yeah. But we are drinking For it anyway. that would be alcohol. Yeah, okay. yeah this is true. Um, I'm trying to figure out, is it, Matt is wetting himself, but it might be because he's been drinking all day. It's not the actual, <laughs> he's not being poisoned. But I, I will say, I don't drink beer, um, but I am enjoying this beer. This beer was actually brewed. Uh, by Ben Price. Um, he right. is he is pioneering. He is an entrepreneur. He is starting a new company, uh, Hard Knocks Brewing. He even included a Con- business plan. Cottage, Cottage Grove, here. Oregon, by the yeah, way. Yeah, which I, I will I will totally yeah. review your business plan, but the fact of the matter is I don't know anything about um, food stuff, and I don't really know beer. I will say that I'm not gagging as I drink I'll tell you what, it's, I, I, as somebody who drinks but, a lot of beer. Yeah, is it I, good? I, I had like six beers today. <laughs> um, this is a fantastic beer. And well, I'm not saying that because uh, Ben Price is a fan of the fifth column. I am saying that because it's legitimately a delicious beer. Well, I'm sure. drinking the uh, the Throat Punch Imperial, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> that's great. Look at the uh, look at the design on that one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's that, I think Ben Price did that himself. I think that's a move that Buck did out there in Iraq. <laughs> that's in Iraq. Buck Sexton was is it a series of, of tightly worded memos? Because that's <laughs> definitely, definitely what I was doing there. But they, Buck these, Snowflakes. These do have great names. Rosie the Riveter Red Ale. And and what has just happened here is we've just done our first um, yeah, ad, ad, I think, yeah. on the show. That's and how you do all it. it. And, and all I, it cost him was whatever, how many of your beers did yeah, I, uh, yeah. he gave us. But. He, he did write us a really great um, letter, which thank you for that. Um, and he signs he signs it off by, by saying something about, I think that means you owe me, you all owe me. Um, yeah, and dude, we, we give you repaid. we give you a free podcast repaid. like every damn week, and you you sent us four beers. <laughs> yeah, I'd say yeah. you owe yeah. us. Oh, We're doing God. it again, and look at this. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, you are the official beer sponsor. Yeah, of the Fifth Column podcast. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hard knocks. Hard, hard knocks. Brewing. brewing coming hard until hard. someone comes along and pays more. Hey, 
Which and is by, and by even the way, a dollar. And so please send your money now. <laughs> and by the way, don't be an ungrateful bastard. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. But, uh, ben Price, uh, don't listen to Camille. He's an, <laughs> he's an angry uh, black man. Uh, in denial. And, in denial. About his anger. Yeah. Yeah, about his anger. I mean, we know he's not black. Um, and we really appreciate it. So thank you, Ben Price. <laughs> well, well, Buck, I'm sorry to, to introduce you to our um, insane uh, universe this way. Um, and I'm sorry that you can't partake of these uh, these delicious beverages. Kind of sorry, um, not sorry. Yeah, yeah, not sorry. Yeah, one, one more for us. Yeah. Um, but we did have a lot of stuff happen last week. Uh, quickly run down what we'll probably talk about today if we don't run out of time. Uh, last week, the Justice Department announced that it would begin phasing out privately operated federal prisons. Uh, we will discuss. Uh, maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's not. Maybe folks should care a great deal. Um, there, uh, is also some stuff to talk about with respect to the Affordable Care Act, and we will work our way around that. But before we do all of that, seeing as how we have, uh, Buck Sexton in our mix, and mm. he knows a great deal, uh, about, uh, national security and foreign policy, I would love for us to spend some time talking about a couple of different related stories, uh, that have cropped up over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, and we could start with this NSA hack, um, that happened, uh, which is, Super interesting. Uh, apparently, a group of hackers that we don't know a great deal about that goes by the moniker Shadow Brokers released 300 megabytes of NSA cyber weapon code um, on the Internet. Uh, we don't know a great deal about these hackers. Uh, there have been, um, because these are the times we live in, rumors that it's the Russians who are responsible for this hack. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. Um, what has happened, though, is we've had a lot of conversations um, since this has happened. And, you know, with the Snowden leaks with the NSA, a lot of the conversation was about the legality of these actions. Um, with this in particular, it's less about legality and has a lot more to do with the conversation that started around the time of the San Bernardino attacks um, in, what, December 2015, when Apple had an iPhone. There was an iPhone on one of the shooters, uh, and it was locked. It was encrypted. And we wanted to get inside it and see we, the federal government, the intelligence services, wanted to get inside it and see what's going on. And there was some talk about, well, maybe there should be security backdoors. Um, and what it turns out, these tools are, one, oddly named. So, Buck, perhaps you can help us to understand why people make up bizarre names for these tools. Um, but two, um, these, to these tools were all about ex taking advantage of deficiencies in broadly distributed network hardware that is all over the world um, and software. And essentially the NSA had collected a bunch of these deficiencies, knowledges, knowledge about these deficiencies um, and had them all stored in one place. And they were ripe for the taking by a hacker group. So not a great day for the NSA, probably a really bad day for plenty of Americans um, and the networks of both businesses and municipal uh, folks. Um, but, Buck, what do, we, what do we take away from all of this? Because at the time when that conversation started, the perspective of Apple was, look, we don't think building backdoors into software is a good idea because we could do it for you. But bad guys would almost certainly find out about it. And lo and behold, the bad guys now know about this treasure trove of backdoors into software, essentially. Um, and this is uh, potentially dangerous for everyone, no? Well, uh, initially, my, my first comments about the, the FBI requesting access into the Apple phone or when I was talking about this on, on my radio show, I said, look, they can get in there if they really want to, right? I mean, this is just a question of how much work they have to go through, how difficult is it? But if the federal government really wanted to get in there, they were going to get in there. And sure enough, they did. So while it's important to keep in mind that the feds are, generally speaking, with some exceptions, uh, aggressively mediocre in, in almost all things, they also have endless resources and time. And so for things like trying to crack the code, even when you're talking about Apple, as we know, they were able to get in without actually getting, getting the keys. I should also point out that, you know, I worked for CIA, not NSA. And that, as that's much okay. As, it's all the same thing. No, no. I mean, but, but <laughs> so, so my specialty or, or expertise, such as it was, other than uh, making really good frothy cappuccinos and war zones, was actually uh, in <laughs> – you laugh. <laughs> and yet yeah. – I'm, yet laughing, I tell you I'm laughing knowingly. If there's no cappuccino machine, there's no mission. That's what we used to say. But no, the uh, <laughs> – the, 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 the truth is um, 
you know, I'm somebody who's had a hard time getting his, I, I've always wanted to be able to get my Mac to sort of link up to my TV and haven't been able yeah. to do that. So technologically, I'm deficient. I want to put that out there. I'm not somebody who knows the NSA stuff very well at all. I know the human intelligence side of it on the CIA and all that stuff. So a, a slightly, a slight proviso or, or a little bit of a caveat there. And as to hacker tools, what I always find fascinating is that most hacking that we talk about, you get this notion in your head that it's like, who's the guy who plays Wolverine? He's in that terrible movie with Hugh the Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. He's in the yeah. movie Swordfish, and he's there, and he's a genius, and he's got these three screens, and it's like he's in the Matrix, and he's doing all this crazy code. That was Hugh Most, Jackman. Yeah, and Swordfish. Does, does he have the home? No, I'm talking about in Swordfish, but he had the Matrix like screen. I thought that was Halle Berry who had the. No, she has. <laughs> I just want to say that Camille's <laughs> cupping his hands over his breast right now. He's like, it's Halle Berry who had that. Yeah, that's, so that's the only it. thing I remember. Yeah, she was there. also yeah. in that movie. Yeah, and, she should have won an and, Oscar. And yeah. was attractive. But for the racism, she um, would have won an Oscar. I'm sorry. Uh, please continue. So, no, but 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 the, usually when you see hacking, it's reported on as, and, and you get the sense that there are people who are doing something really complicated. And most of the time, it's someone sends you a link that essentially if yeah. you click on it or or they leave, or the, or the password is password 1234. That's, that's like a majority of <laughs> yeah. what the hacking that's actually out there is. Sure. And so when people talk about it, but then when you start talking about encryption keys, this is a whole next level. This right. is sort of scarier stuff. And when you start to – it's one thing to sort of crowdsource to put it out there. I don't know if these NSA crypto keys or whatever they are, the encryption keys, right? That's what they're mm-hmm. – um, I don't know if they're real or not or if that's – I mean, you know, no. neither confirmed nor yeah, denied. Yeah, they're, not, I mean, they're I, not really real. I mean, that's – and what you're talking about, the first thing is I did a, a story, a cover story a long time ago for Newsweek called – the headline was You're Being Hacked. And half of this stuff, probably 75% of it, 85% of the things – we call hacking, hackers call social engineering. Right. And they do things to get you to give them their passwords, et cetera. So you have like the fappening, which is, you know, all these celebrities have their phones hacked. And this is the language used in the media, that they're hacked. Well, they weren't really hacked. I mean, they, 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 there wasn't somebody like breaking down the code to like slip in. It was just basic stuff where they found out people's passwords. Right. So it's hacking in a different Essentially way. Essentially by answering those. Yeah, those exactly. Like I'm, I'm the system person, administrator. Yeah. I need to reboot your computer and people are dumb enough to be like, yeah, here's so, my yeah, password. Give me, give me I don't thing. mean to derail the conversation. Yeah. Here. Oh, God. Oh, here, we go. here we go. But That's I thought the fappening was an explicit uh, reference to masturbation. It, well, it is. It is. I, okay. This, yeah. I just, I mean, thank but you for clarifying Thank God. I'm glad you clarified. It's also the name that is used to refer to this. collective hack. Big hacking incident. And the distribution of nude photos yes of okay, celebrities yeah and particularly like, women there in like hacking on the other end um is done by sort of rogue people individual people but i mean if you look at the collective knowledge that gave us stuxnet it is one of the most impressive the what, what? stuxnet which was the virus that infect, infected uh the natanz uh, facility in iran and basically sped up the centrifuges by a, a, a speed that was not detectable. So small that it was like, you know, tiny, tiny, and it destroyed them all. Yes. And that was the first time that code had actually had physical consequences, that it weaponized code, and it destroyed it. And that stuff is insane. I mean, that is the, the American intelligence services working with the Israeli intelligence services right. and doing things like that. And it's incredibly engineered. Yeah, a virus. Very, very smart. And to Buck's point is that the idea that you need to have, and people always say that I say the idea, which I do, um, the idea that you need to have um, uh, a kind of key for this stuff is essentially saving the NSA time or saving the FBI time because they can ultimately do it as they ultimately did. And by the way, they didn't find anything in that phone. Right. There was nothing, there was nothing of value in that phone. doesn't mean there wouldn't be in the future. Um, but a lot of this stuff now is like if you use Telegram, if you use Wicker, if you use any of these messaging services, message, they, they, you know, these if, are all encrypted, encrypted, messaging like services really, really heavily encrypted. Available. Yeah, they're on the App Store for free. And the CIA, uh, and I mean, the NSA cannot, uh, it, with, it's very hard for them to get, to get into that stuff. So interestingly enough is that Michael Hayden, the former director of the NSA and, and then the CIA, um, the only person who's, who's, who's uh, been the boss of both agencies, was on Apple's side in this. He said, no, this is a dangerous precedent. And basically what you're asking for is you're asking for, for keys for everything at all times, which is bad for American privacy and bad for 
Um, you I, know. See, this this is originally when that discussion came out. I, I wanted I, I want the police to actually have to come and knock on the door and show a warrant sure. and all that. And the digital equivalent to that is I have to really want they have to really want to get into something. They can physically seize the device. That's right. not particularly hard for them to do. Sure. And if they really want to get in there, they can get in there. Yeah, but I don't want it to be you know it, it, the the laws on this. The more people learn about them, generally the more upset they become. Like I was actually in the Intel division, the NYPD, when they explained to me that emails older than ninety days had less protection than emails that were fresher than 90 days. Right. Which was, what is that based on? That's insane. Yeah. It's based on nothing. It's just kind of a loophole. In the, did you guys even know that? That's I, did, I didn't. Yeah. Know that. In that terms was... of one required, uh, whatever it was, a reasonable suspicion versus, you know, just being a part of an investigation. So they, they had to, they changed that with some of the cyber laws. But yeah, if they if they wanted to get a sense of who you'd been emailing and it was older than 90 days, they could just be like, yeah, we could, we could go for that. Um, so I, I, I'd like to see, I, I like it when they have to actually make an effort to do these kinds of things as opposed of just having the keys all the time. And remember the NSA of, you know, the, the stuff that Snowden revealed and, um, you know, what most people thought and most people I talked to about this had this perception that the NSA was hoovering up all of your uh, telephone data. They were getting it from the phone company. I mean, right. they, they didn't have this great, you know, device. Well, they planted a guy in the phone Well, yeah, no, no, exactly. But, 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 exactly. But at I'm, AT&T. I mean, yeah. I'm just, at the same time that John it, Ashcroft was giving a... You know, barnstorming tours about how like like people who are worrying about us bugging AT and T in San Francisco are totally spreading phantoms of, of lost yeah, yeah. liberty and that kind of shit. But but it's it's funny though that basically they have all the metadata actually comes from the phone companies themselves, and not that, that, that there's this eye in the sky that's sucking it all up. I mean, Google still has all of it too. By the way, yeah, yeah, Google exactly. has everything. Yeah. Google has every email you've written since you started using a Google account. They have it. It's there. They, they never they never get rid of mm-hmm. it. Which people are always like, yeah, but we trust Google. Really. Well, uh, well, I mean, at least you're giving it to them voluntarily, right? A lot of people, not all, not most, but a lot of people know that Google has this information. And if Google screws it up, you have a couple of options. If they screw it up in a way that they promised they wouldn't, you could sue the bejesus out of them. Um, And if they screw it up in a different way, you can leave and go elsewhere. Like Google has incentives for keeping it together. The NSA, on the other hand... Is this a real leak? Is it not? We're not going to say anything. Can I play? The We're not going to tell you. Can We're not going to talk about it. If I could Did, play the lefty weirdo here, uh, like, I mean, well, like every week. <laughs> no, actually, a little, I'm, I'm uniquely kidding. this time. I'm kidding. Around. I'm sorry. Uh, like, where would you go? What do you mean? When I left Google? Yeah, yeah go to yeah. Yahoo. Oh, there's so yeah. many. There are so many yeah. places. Dogpile.com. Well, one. Seriously. I mean, you one. Your account is activated. Yeah, ask Jeeves. No, I'm just like it's a practical question here. Yeah, where the fuck would you go? I'm trying to answer the question. Moynihan just keeps yelling Jeeves over and over again. It's weird Tourette's. No, it's a look. Microsoft has a service called Bing. It is a search engine. There's also DuckDuckGo. There are plenty of search engines that you can use. This furthermore, is, all furthermore, of these sounds like the fapping all yeah, over again. No, these are these are real things. Uh, these are real yeah. things. And quite frankly, I'll tell you this much: like the fact of the matter is, once something awful happens uh, with one of those companies, you find out pretty quickly who their competitors are because they start to run ads. Right. If you feel insecure with Gmail, you should totally use this other thing. And there is lots of other things. The available. amazing thing about Americans uh, is that they believe they've begun to believe that Facebook. And Google are public utilities. Yeah. And yes. when people say, like, you know, I can't believe, pass it on, Facebook is gathering data. And I'm like, <laughs> do you think that there are people in hoodies building stuff for you for free? They're well, just like, they're just doing this. Like, I really want that elderly woman to post pictures of his gra- grandson, and I, I should get nothing out of this? this I mean, it's amazing. This also comes up when people start running the, the chain emails about how they're, they're like, suppressing speech here or there or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. while, while I think that's not an admirable thing for Twitter or Facebook or anyone to do, they can theirs. absolutely do it. Sure. Sort of they thing. can shut down sort of any group thing. they want for any reason yeah. they want. I mean, they have community yeah. standards. Like, community standards are usually things like, you know, take a shower before jumping in the pool. Like, yeah. community standards <laughs> usually don't stay Stand up in a court of law. It's yeah, not like- it's the whole thing with uh, that uh, that chap Milo, whom I don't understand in any way. Who uh, is like? There, I, there's I've had a, him on radio. We'll find there's him. There's a movement. The there's a movement uh, which appear to be mostly made up of skinheads who are trying to get Milo back on Twitter. I had no idea he was kicked off. He doesn't want to uh, even be there. But yeah, no. I mean, he every, wants to be kicked out every time. Of course, yeah. Every time I get some psychopathic message on Twitter that's from like the alt right, 
is like, and it's like a, telling me that, you know, where you talk about free speech. What about Milo? And then I look at the avatar and it's like Goebbels. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, free speech, you know, well, Goebbels isn't, wasn't, it wasn't like huge I, on free speech. But, but these people, <laughs> like this like Milo thing, I, they have one point. And the one point is this, and, and back to Buck's point, they can do this if they, if they choose to. It's their own private company. Right. And as people that pretend that they're on the right, they should recognize this, is that they, of course, this stuff is meted out in a way that is unfair. I mean, it's partisan. You know, it's well, partisan. I mean, you know, so, uh, Milo's going to get kicked off, and then half the sociopaths that you know, attack me when I like, jokingly say something about Bernie Sanders, you know, not, not so much. Not they, so much. Yeah, and, and Milo was actually kicked off, and, and we've actually been asked about this a few times on, on Twitter, uh, at the We the Fifth uh, handle on, on Twitter, where you should totally talk to us. But we've been asked a few times to weigh in on this. Um, he was kicked off of Twitter the last time. Because he was mean to the woman from Ghostbusters. Because he was mean to the... Um, <laughs> His followers were mean to her, I think, more yeah. so than he was mean to her. Was actually Yes, the... but, but he did say, like, sort of grow up, essentially. Like shut up, stop complaining, or something, something to that effect. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly offensive, uh, but Twitter used that as the uh, as which the woman? pretense for getting rid of him. Leslie the, Jones, who also just yeah. got who just got super yep. hacked, probably naked by photos. Milo. Why yes. would anyone want to see naked, naked photos? photos? First of all, at this point, hold on for celebrities. At this point, the naked she's, photo she's thing. Hacked? Everybody should she's know. Hacked today. No naked photos. Just, yeah, don't just, take just, naked just photos. Just no naked photos. Just, yeah. just no. Where, where, just never. Where just do you know. keep your I, naked I'm gonna photos? T- I'm going to tell you like, right now. Like shirtless, you know, my shirtless selfie, maybe. Seriously, maybe. if you get into okay, my Gmail, it's just busted. pictures of my dick. <laughs> <laughs> just telling you now. What else is new? There's yeah, no surprise. I, I've, had, I've had a couple of these dead hipster ales, and I'm just saying, <laughs> you get into that stuff, you're going to find some disgusting things. So well, thank you. Anthony so, Wienerville and the AC Moynihan Gmail account? So to take this back in a slightly different direction, staying on the national security, Security stuff. Um, sure. You know, this week we were actually expecting there were rumbles on Sunday uh, that Donald Trump had reversed course on immigration. Um, and we were going to get this big speech on Thursday, which is today when we're recording this. No, Apparently that's been it's delayed. Wednesday, first of all. Is Wednesday. it? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Well, I don't know. Whatever. Either way, it's been delayed. I thought that For was those of us who haven't. I don't know what day it is. Yeah. I'm slightly drunk. You know what day it is? In either case. It's my birthday. In either case. It's Moynihan's birthday. Is it true? It is. Hey, Camille. Yeah, but you're he's, screwing he's up. 50 years old. But you're yeah. screwing up my segue. Birthdays was the worst days. <laughs> now we drink champagne when we're thirsty. No continue. More. Continue. No more beer um, in here. Hard Rock, Hard Rock, Hard Knocks beer. The yeah. official beer of the Fifth Column. Yeah. <laughs> Library. Um, wow. I like yeah. this podcast. <laughs> now we're doing it. is wasted. Um, like, I've been drinking this is not six true. hours. I'm really not. And Camille is wasted I'm after really one drunk. third of a beer. Yeah. Can I but, sell some me... assault rifles now? Sorry. No, Go ahead. no. Let me put this back on track. So at any rate, I was segueing here. I'm saying we can't talk about that immigration thing because he, he's not talking about it yet. Um, we could, but I won't. But I do want to talk about something else that Donald Trump was talking about not too long ago, um, which is directing blame, responsibility for, quote unquote, founding ISIS at Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, and there are sort of two things about it that are interesting to me. I mean, one, this just this question of trying to attribute responsibility for this thing to someone in the United States government is interesting, and I think we should talk about it. Um, but the second thing about it that's somewhat interesting is Donald Trump does this in the context of just sort of talking about American foreign policy in general, and essentially on the campaign trail making arguments that candidate Obama was making when he was running against the Republicans. Um, and it is sort of interesting to see so many people on the right um, who are vehemently opposed, again, not for the first time, um, to nation building and all of these other um, interesting adventures abroad. I, I want to know sort of if there's something that we can extrapolate from that about sort of the uh, American polity uh, or the public and their perception of these uh, foreign policy issues. But I'm also interested in who do we blame <laughs> for ISIS. I was, is asked, I was asked specifically over at CNN. I usually know when CNN's going to call me. It's when Trump has said something utterly indefensible about foreign policy in some capacity. And they're like, <laughs> Buck Sexton, yeah. would you like to come in? And I'm always like, eh, I don't know about this one. But uh, they, they brought me in on that. I said, look, he, you can't say that he's the founder of 
ISIS, just like you couldn't. I mean, that Obama is the founder of ISIS, just like you couldn't say that he's like the head of ISIS. I mean, at some at some level, precision uh, precision of language, as I stumble, should matter. Um, <laughs> You're so, slurring based on you, our yeah, exactly. Which is great. I'm, I'm the one sitting here drinking water. But anyway, uh, the the, uh, the the broader discussion, I think, is is also Trump doesn't really have a foreign policy. He has a set of public emotions that shift over time depending on what he thinks will be popular with his base such as it is or with his supporters. I don't think he really has I don't think he actually really has a, a foreign policy set of principles um that that he's either articulated or that he's going to try to implement. I mean, and then there's the stuff that everybody agrees on. I, I like to be the one who goes on TV after Hillary Clinton gives a foreign policy speech. And I'm like, you guys all realize in front of a bunch of like aghast CNN commentators that she said nothing, right? There's absolutely zero substance in anything Hillary Clinton ever says on foreign policy. It's, you know, we need to work with our allies. And we, I mean, yeah, okay, we need to work with our allies and we, we need to uh, keep our word with treaties and we need to do very basic and obvious things. She never in any way says anything that I think is, is meaningful beyond that. So you have Trump with the kind of word salad and all the stuff everybody knows about how we're going to kill ISIS. We're going to blow them up. We're going to destroy them. Hillary says kind of similarish things, by the way, about hmm. ISIS. I mean, everybody now talks about how they want to destroy ISIS because they're the, you know, they're the 800 pound evil gorilla in the room. Um, but uh, whoa, well, look at wow. that. Um, Turn the phones But, but I, I think right now what people are going to realize very quickly to your broader point about the polity is uh, Afghanistan. We're, we're losing in Afghanistan if, if the idea is to build a stable state there. That's not happening. And it's not going to happen either. Uh, so the next administration gets to pick that one up. And I think things are going to be messier in Iraq and Syria longer than anybody realizes either. But, I mean, but, the, who built ISIS? Well, okay, to the yeah. point. To the You're point dodging the ISIS question. Wait, I thought was, there were a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions. Well, I, I I'll, I'll throw this back to Buck. And, yeah, and to the to the. I mean, the thing about um, Trump saying saying this sort of thing. And I, I love seeing the the real kind of isolationist libertarians, the sort of ones that that love Charles Lindbergh and get a tattoo of the Lindbergh baby on their back to pay homage. <laughs> to, Never met that guy. To which his, is weird. Oh, I you know he lives in my block. Yeah, um, he's an LP guy. Uh-huh. Uh, is that they can really sift through it? It's almost like people when they politicize movies, they go back and like you know I, this movie from nineteen forty eight is actually a really conservative movie, and they're like you can you can sift it and get whatever you want, and everyone gets this from from Trump. It's like you know he's he's you know the neocons have lost, and and you know there's this new form policy uh, for the Republican Party and everyone's really upset about it and watch the neocon squirm and then like the next breath he's talking about killing terrorist families <laughs> and like bombing you know you know I know it was Ted Cruz that said we're going to make the soil glow carpet bombing com- carpet bombing oh, yeah. he said I mean, this this sort of thing so I mean it, obviously it, whatever Donald Trump says whatever comes out of his mouth about foreign policy or, or immigration it doesn't matter I mean it's the shifting winds it could, could give a shit about any principle and any policy but so when when he was offered an opportunity this is how dumb he is uh, he was offered an opportunity by Hugh Hewitt to 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 take the statement to walk back. It back, yeah. And he, and and Hewitt, who's uh, just become, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what's happened to him because he had this thing where he's like, we have to. This is about four months ago. We have to get rid of Donald Trump. He cannot be our nominee at the convention. This this is for a week on his show, and then all of a sudden he's just like blubbering on, on, on how much it's he loves the Supreme Court man. It's the Supreme Court man, and it's a dumb argument in some ways, um, but. He has Trump on and he says, you know, what you were saying, (laughs) he's giving him his lines, what you were saying (laughs) was not that he actually created ISIS, is that he, his policies helped the growth of, and Donald Trump interjects and he's like, no, he created ISIS. And it's like, (laughs) this guy is serious, right? And, and, you know, the one thing, and there there is a, a very obvious, you know, point with where ISIS is created in a lot of ways. And it's in a Jordanian prison, as you can read in Joby Warwick's book, Black Flags, which is a fantastic book about ISIS. And, you know, the... By the way... What? Uh, like last week on Twitter, there was a whole discussion of whether you, Mo- Michael Moynihan, reference more books per yeah. podcast oh, yeah. than I do. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And someone made the stupid argument, yeah. and, I, and I don't mean to be yeah, insulting here, sure. that I, Matt Welch, yeah. reference more random books than no. Michael Moynihan. Well, I said that's well, maybe, physically yeah. impossible. Well, maybe, maybe random. That was in context. That was in context. No, in context. Well, no. Well, I'll end this uh, with a discussion of, of Arthur Sorry. Kessler's uh, Darkness and Noon. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we, so that's, we, that's two to none. So, it? you know, you have that starting point where you have uh, um, Zarqawi in a Jordanian prison. This stuff is, is fairly obvious. There's a Iraqi connection that people don't pay attention to because basically the leadership uh, of, of ISIS, the uh-huh. people that are really our former Ba'athist uh, sure. officers, I mean, this is where the kind of backbone of this. 
But the thing that bothers me about it is we can have a conversation of, you know, the, the counterfactuals and who created the situation and how it was exacerbated by such and such policy. But the thing that annoys me about it most is that this is the thing that we do, whether it's Charlie Hebdo being shot up, whether it's a bomb going off in Turkey, whether it's we're always taking the the terrorist uh, terrorism out of the terrorist hands. You're saying who's responsible? Who's actually well, this responsible? This is like the Glenn Greenwaldian approach to these things, which is always, I, it, or, or, or on the left, you see this all the time, which is that it's something that we did that created ISIS, and this is. For, I mean, you, you mentioned the Bathists. I mean, ISIS really actually comes specifically out of out of AQI beforehand. I mean, it's just sure. AQI 2.0. There's really yeah. very little difference in right. terms of of its approach. Which is Zarqawi? Which is Zarqawi? I mean, yeah. you know, the Zarqawi successors are the ones who are running Al Qaeda in Iraq. AQI were the guys that I was actually working against when I when I was in Iraq years ago. And this was Al Qaeda in Iraq. Iraq. Yeah, yeah. And and people forget that at the time there was a much broader. There was a the anti U.S. insurgency was broken up into a whole bunch of different little groups. Nineteen nineteen in the twenty Revolutionary Brigade, uh, Ansar al Sunnah, Ansar al Islam. There are all these different groups that were popping around in 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 Iraq. And then AQI, which became essentially the most sadistic and, and and the craziest. Uh, was able to bring a lot of them into the fold, and, and that eventually had the awakening, and they got rid of them. Uh, which, by the way, part of the problem now is that AQI, or rather, in the Islamic State iteration of things, they learned from what happened before. So people who are always talking about, well, when's the next Sunni uprising coming? First thing that the Islamic State did when they retook areas of Iraq that, by the way, previously had been AQI-controlled territory, more or less, right. places like Ramadi and Fallujah. Fallujah and they never were able to really take Mosul quite the same way, but there were times when like, the Mosul police just disappeared and they were more or less running wild in Mosul, uh, was to make sure they found all the people that they felt were collaborators with the government or with the U.S. military and yeah. execute them right away. I mean, th- yeah. this was a part of the of what they've done. So that's all. And now you can imagine, now anyone who comes to them from Iraqi government who's like, well, who wants to fight against this new menace with us? They're like, oh, you mean like the guys before who all were beheaded in the square, you know, 6, 12, 18 right. months ago, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, so that makes that makes the situation much, much harder. But on the, on the broader point um, about how terrorism is always our fault, this is one of my main, this is actually when I like to go to CNN and fight with, because most, here, a perfect example of this is actually after the Nice attacks. Or the Nice attack, you know, the guys driving around the bus, mm-hmm. which, of course, and immediately that turns in on Twitter to everybody like, oh, well, what are they going to ban buses now? And I'm like, can we just, you know, let's like focus on the there's a lot of that, yeah. as you can imagine. Right. Everyone sort of is getting intensely. Well, the ban is the burkini. Yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> yeah. we can go to burkinis in a second. But after the Nice attack, I'm on I'm on a panel there and we have uh, a former senior FBI guy. Which you know, that's a whole separate discussion. <laughs> how, how impressed by that people should be on like an yeah. ex-agency yeah. face. Look, in, if you want to ask somebody about organized crime or about white collar stuff or you know whatever, like ask the former deputy acting assistant director of whatever from the FBI. <laughs> Hold but cow. but yeah. if you're gonna ask him about like the global jihad, there are very few yeah. that actually know what the heck yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. I just asked, I, by the way, I just asked Bernie Carrick, who uh, seems to have lost 400 pounds, shaved his mustache, and is an expert in everything now. It's great. It's great to see him on TV. <laughs> but but we went one after another, and Bob Bear was one of them who was a CIA guy who, whatever, he left a very long time ago, and then there was a woman who was an academic who I have no idea why she's on the panel. Anyway, the point being, they go through, and it's, at, I mean, it's hours after they've mowed down however many people, dozens of people have been mowed down there. It was so, 77. And this is hours afterwards, and they're mm-hmm. saying, you know, what do we need? What do we need to focus on now? And I'm thinking that immediately this discussion goes to, okay, does this guy have additional ties? You know, can the U.S. provide any leads to the French authorities? Can they work with, you know, the DGSE? Is there right. something we right. th- that we're going to figure out, like, or, or talk about how to prevent more of these, or is there anything? From, and it just turns one after another of, well, it's because the French don't integrate their Muslim it's, population. It's, well. yeah, and I almost threw up yeah. on my feet. I mean, yeah. th- this is what happens now every yeah. single time. And in a sense, the ISIS discussion has turned into a, a, a version of this, which is U.S. policy created this. It's like, no, there's no U.S. policy that turns thousands of people into mass murdering lunatics who are raping after enslaving and raping children and cutting people's heads off on videos and such. U.S. policy doesn't actually lead to that. Well, so. I, I, I want to push back. I, 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 I want to push, push back, back a little. Actually, quickly, okay. just just really quickly, and I'll throw it to you. Yeah. Is that is that I mean, look in the field. I mean, the military understands. And I talked to. I was. I sat down with Michael Hayden um, last week, and I was a little brief bit. About ten minutes of my interview. That's on. He's uh, the the third lead singer of Van Halen. He he he's uh, yeah after Gary Sharon. Um, so he's a former director of the NSA and CIA. And, and and look, I mean, he says things straight up when we were talking about the sort of moral decisions that one has to make at CIA. And he was talking about a, a, a one particular drone strike. 
And he's and one of the things he said, look, we're calculating what happens when we hit collateral damage. We hit a village and we have collateral damage mm-hmm. that we do have to accept that this is going to have a negative effect on United States policy and how people view the United States. There's no denying that, and I don't think anyone should or anyone really does. And it's a matter of what this has become a very binary argument. It's that sure. it's that it, we create it or we don't create it. We create it or we don't create it in almost every situation. So if you think of something as like, well, after 9-11, blah, blah, it's like, well, yeah, okay, well, please explain to me 9-11, because that actually happened before, sure. the, before the Iraq War. And the idea that there are people who are, um, you know, immigrants in, in, in whatever country who are not integrated particularly well. And we are one of the only countries in the world that does it exceptionally well. I right. mean, compared to, say, you know, <laughs> Serbia or, say, Russia, where it's not a great place to be an immigrant, even from the Caucasus. And if you are not integrated in those places, what is it that prevents a sort of Ecuadorian trying to integrate into Honduras from blowing up a bunch of children. Yeah. It must be. I mean, it must be. There's an ideological being, component. Well, there's an well, I, I, of and so what we do is we, we erase ideology. You know, Bel- I, don't, Bel- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know that we that we look. I don't want to be reductive about this and in, in the description of people who sort of advocate for different things uh, related to this stuff. I mean, you guys know that I am sort of firmly I guess I'm firmly in the blowback camp. Uh, yeah. In the sense that I am deeply concerned about the ramifications of U.S. foreign policy. And when I when I do look at Iraq today, um, it is difficult not to think about the intervention in Iraq and the extent to which it has worsened sure. circumstances sure. there as opposed to make them better. None of that suggests that there is sure. not personal culpability on the part of the terrorists who carry out terrorist acts. And none of that suggests that there aren't any number of really complicated things going on underneath. And I, and I think, I think we, it sounds like we broadly agree that this exercise of trying to attach responsibility to a person in government for ISIS um, can lead us down the wrong direction if that becomes the only thing that we're talking about. Yeah. But there are other people who only want to talk about yeah. ideology and want to pretend that U.S. foreign policy has zero consequences whatsoever, and that is also bad. I don't know anybody who says it as ze- who, who knows anything. I mean, I there are plenty. Say. Well, there are who, plenty who of people who say zero it. consequences. Do, do, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know anyone who. who, who again, the, the the caveat here is anyone who knows anything sure. who says that there are zero consequences. I mean, there are people who say. You know, say anything idiotic, and um, I, and I mean, and, I, I and, might make and, the. I mean, if that's the case, then I mean, I'd probably make the same argument with respect to folks who talk about blowback. I don't know that any of them would not suggest that there is, of course, responsibility on the part of someone who goes and blows but, themselves up or kills no, a bunch but there's of a, there's a very, there's a very, no, Chomsky, come I, on. There's I'm a very important. There's, very few. there's a very important distinction here, though. I mean, if you look back at. Uh, the list of grievances, and he was very helpful in this regard. Bin Laden had a list of grievances, right, sure. including U.S. soldiers in the you know yep. in the Holy Land. But I mean, the existence of Israel is a grievance for much of the jihadist community. Uh-huh. So you're going to have to deal with that. For example, we we could stop doing everything. We could pull away all of our bases. The mere existence of the state of Israel for many jihadists is in and of itself totally cause it. cause for jihad. And then you also have to deal with well, well, when does it stop? Right? When do we stop hearing about the bombing of Iraq? When do we stop hearing about what's gone on in parts of Pakistan? Uh, I think the answer is never. I mean, I think that th- these are people that, I mean, you look at all the cities that we're still fighting over in Iraq. I mean, they're named for battles for the most part in, in the 7th century, and they all know this history, and they all still care about it. And you still have people who are, you know, whipping themselves because they're Shia. And yeah. they're the, I'm just saying, I mean, the notion of blowback, you're, you're never going to get away from blowback for, from somebody from, who thinks some, that they can strap a suicide some, vest on yeah, from for some people. achieving there's no, justice. There's no doubt about it. From some people, you will never get away from it. But there is certainly some percentage of the population that when their neighborhood is decimated, right? When their neighborhood is decimated, when you are in league with some motley crew um, of of a faction who is supposed to be defending U.S. interest in, say, Syria by helping us to take the battle to ISIS, you may, in fact, screw things up worse for that place, for that region, and you might, in fact, make more enemies than you do friends. That is a, that is a fact here, that it here's, seems like you can't run away here, from. Here's, here's, the, yeah, here's the problem, and, I, and I've mentioned this uh, on this show before, is that, is that blowback is a unidirectional thing. It's not a bi-directional thing. It's, so it's not, and it's, it's and, one, and it's, it's a very it's very frustrating to yeah. me because 
you have, I mean, how does one explain the Frank Gaffneys of the world? How does one explain, you know, Deborah Burlingame, whose husband died in 9-11? If, the, if there is a blowback if, if a that blo- explains Frank Gaffney, yeah. I think we'll yeah, all no, that's be just, a lot that's just called it's mental not, illness. But it's not, blowback is not a theory of everything. And, and, no, if, no, no, and if someone is using it in that but, way, but that's a mistake. The question that I always asked after 9-11 was, was all these blubbering fools in my neighborhood of saying, why do they hate us? And I always wondered, is anyone sitting somewhere listening to the buzz of, of a B-52 saying, why do they hate us? I mean, it's a one, like, I, why is no one wondering why we hate them? It's always a one-way street. When you knock down two towers that are, you know, a half a mile from where we are now that was on yeah. the landscape when I first moved to the city and meant a lot to me, and am I allowed to be pissed off at that? No, good God, no. That's some reactionary nonsense. But blowback is a one-way street only. And think of it this way also. When you talk about in, in France, and, and, and Buck is absolutely right, when you have this, this, this thing that's said all the time of like, well, integration's bad. They're very, very angry. So therefore they drive trucks over 77 people, which is, you know, what immigrants have done throughout history. History, apparently, <laughs> um, we, we, it's about economics, right? It's about it's about social standing, etc. No one ever applies these things also to the Middle East, right? Can we blame the the corrupt dictatorships that have bankrupted these these uh-huh. countries? On top of talking about American policy, if you want to talk about America, fine. I don't care about that. Right. We can have a conversation about it. But socioeconomic stuff exists in the West. It doesn't exist in the Middle East. We never talk about the socioeconomic factors in the Middle East that lead people to blah, blah, blah. Well, can, we, can we take on the socioeconomic argument for a second, though? Sure. Because it's one that people say all the time. And, and I know you recognize that it's a, it's a faulty argument, but it, it's faulty in so many ways. First of all, the, 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 what the American left, the uh, I don't want to keep saying the Greenwaldian left to give this guys too much it's credit. Fine. But, you know, fine. people, essentially Americans who, who always somehow like the terrorists or find a way to, you know, explain how the terrorists... I don't think Glenn Greenwald likes like the, the terrorists. terrorists. In fact, I don't know that there are any Americans who like the terrorists. Actually, Hamas is a terrorist organization, and I'm pretty sure Glenn Greenwald would come on here right now it, and talk about how he thinks Hamas has got a pretty good point. Okay, okay so but, I think actually he does so, kind of so, like it. So if you want to talk about Hamas, fine. And Hezbollah, too, but, we can talk about. But before, just a moment ago, we were talking about ISIS. I know, I know. So I push back because... I push back. I push back. Don't you cut me off. Matt Welch. <laughs> I push back because <laughs> because it's appropriate that we are precise, as Buck okay, indicated fair, earlier. Fair enough. I'm helping. Pre- precision of language, and we and I also don't like talking about somebody who's not here. Although sometimes you have to. So, uh, but in, in the in, in the integration model, the, the the issue with Europe. First of all, as people point out, we always talk about how well we do with the Muslim minority here. As a function of numbers, actually, we have 320 million people, three to five million Muslims in this country. You look at France, 60 to 70 million people, and about six to 10 million Muslims. So it's a much larger percentage of the overall population. So they're dealing with a different scale and scope of the problem there than mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, of radicalization, I should say, that, uh, than we are here. But, and also they're d- dealing with a more uh, monochromatic society. Yeah. Um, by but, far. But Belgium is a fascinating example because, first of all, when everyone was like, all of a sudden the Molenbeek, na- uh, Molenbeek neighbor- neighborhood was like the most famous neighborhood in the world because all these jihadists are there and all this bad stuff is happening. And you, of course, have all these international reporters showing up there walking around. And yes, like there are women, there are women in burkas there. And I know we're going to talk burkinis in a little bit. But the Belgian example isn't what people seem to think that it was in this country because Belgium actually bent over backwards, essentially said, you guys can publish whatever you want, whatever jihadist literature you want, run your mosques, do your thing. We'll leave you alone. Oh, yeah, for years. We'll, we'll leave you alone because we want to be a very multicultural society, right? Now, maybe that people would argue that that's leaving people out in the cold. You're not actually integrating them. You're kind of segregating them in a sense. But they were very permissive of Muslim refugees in Belgium. And you have a Congolese class in, or Congolese immigrants, rather, in Belgium who are very poor, have high rates of crime. You look at these two groups, for example, no Congolese suicide bombers and a whole bunch of jihadists coming out of the Muslim refugee community in Belgium. So this notion that somehow there's an integration policy that would fix this is I I don't know what that really looks like, especially when you look at the kind of target sets that these people are that the jihadists are are choosing. And the socioeconomic thing, by the way, I mean, what better example can you have? And bin Laden comes from Sion of an incredibly wealthy family. I mean, you know, Yemeni origin, Saudi. And and you go through all these terrorists. They're They're, middle middle class, educated. uh, These these people that this notion is like somehow that they're so downtrodden. So they blow themselves up. This is just crap. Okay, stop. Stop talking all you people. I've I've been over here (laughs) drinking in the corner. Yeah, I can see that. We can see that. See yeah. that. Thank you, yeah. Matt. It's been Thank great. Well, we, well, it's, been, it's been no. Don't 
Don't oh you God. stop me. He's like looking at his watch. I, yeah. Only because we've I'm got like 20 minutes. I want you to talk. Yeah. And I, in fact, I was going to pitch it to you God, for this. You other sound thing. like fucking Foster uh, Brooks. Foster Brooks. Hi. <laughs> Jeez. I'm not going to. Matt, no I would just suggest this frame, which is there's a difference between yes, but and yes, and. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Like, it is true that France has an integration problem with its non-French, non-Catholic. Just, just say Muslim minority. Yeah, That's okay. also, but it's it, mostly Muslim minority. Yeah, it's it's mostly, but it's uh, also, yeah. I mean, uh, we're talking about burkinis. I mean, they have the same kind of strictures against wearing a yarmulke, wearing a, a huge uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, those are David. thrown in there after the fact. Yeah. No, I mean, some of those were thrown in before the fact. Um but but look, I mean, when 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 you say like like the, the class, I mean, there's Jews as a class have been integrated in France, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, however, the the largely speaking, um, we can say that um, there is a problem in France with integrating this minority, um, whether it's from Algeria, whether for more recent immigrants, Algerians are now like fifty years old into France. I mean, sure, that's a, that's yeah. a thing that's been happening for a while. Um, and that is a, a, a category difference from the way that we integrate our own Muslim immigrants here. We have a better track record of that. And that also helps us kind of build a shield or build something, kind of an absorption thing um, against that kind of uh, uh, possible terrorist activity. Um, and yet you can say that and observe that without giving – without denying agency of the assholes who blow shit up in, in, or it's, drive things over. You can yeah. go yes and it's, – It's a true – it's true. Yes it's but. true. It's true in some, in, in some senses. I mean there was a study done I think probably 10 years ago about the Somali population in a certain area of Sweden. And there were Somali refugees and uh, in uh, Minneapolis. And the difference was pretty stark was uh, Somalis in Minneapolis were, were uh, I mean – economically performing a lot better than the, the Swedes because the Swedes basically ghettoize people yeah. and say, you can't work. Uh, we, we have nothing for you. Just stay here. It's really onerous to start a company and all of these things. And you go into, into and of course, at the same time, it's the butt thing because obviously we've had problems. There's been in, terrorists coming out of Minneapolis, Minneapolis too. The American I mean, model is not as good. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's doing better than the Swedish model. Uh, or the Western European model, but at the same time, there is a, a kind of larger issue in Western Europe that is ideological. And yeah. to talk about ideology, there's a certain class of people and a certain class of pundits and sort of ideological people who think that's some sort of punting. It's not. It's the exact opposite of that. If you go into neighborhoods, I mean, okay, so how do we explain the second generation phenomenon in, in Europe? The and, fact that and increasingly in America, too. and increasingly in America too. If you, if if something blows up in Europe, and we determine pretty quickly that it's somebody who has a jihadist uh, kind of ideology, and that's you know more often than not what we find out. I am putting all of my chips. I'm sliding them across the table to passport holder, uh, and usually to second generation. The yeah, first U, generation. U.S. citizen, born and raised here, born and raised here, and British radi citizen, radicalized, partially online, maybe traveled overseas to get a little more kind of jihad uh, yeah. credentials going, and that's the typical. Look, these are the cases that that I worked on. These are the cases that I've seen too. This is the way it is. So, about the the notion that we integrate. The Muslim community, this is why I got into the numbers. So there, there's been plenty of jihadist terrorism in, in America, unfortunately. I mean, we, we yeah. kind of like to believe that it's much better here than it is in Europe because I think that makes us feel better. But as I said, I much bigger country with a much smaller percentage of Muslim immigrants to begin with. So, But the, and Europe has also been used as not as a place of of emigration only. It's been used as a staging ground. I mean, Buck was talking about Belgium. There was the umbrella of protection that you can look this up, but that – that uh, MI5, MI6 granted to people in, in, in London. Basically, jihadists who were saying, the agreement was, was more or less this. If you don't screw with us here, you know, we're not going to bother you too much. I mean, that's a very condensed version of it. But, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, you have, you know, what's his name? Abu Hamza, the hook-handed yeah, hook guy. guy. All these people, they're basically left alone. Britain is a place where you can arrest somebody for tweeting a joke about a fat person. Yet Abu Hamza, with his glass eye and his hook hand and his, his Finsbury Park Mosque, which was a, was a factory of, of uh, jihadists and people going to Syria 
and uh, you know uh, Chowdhury too, who's just been arrested. Yeah. Um, the, the same thing. They they do not care about speech the way we do here. They lock people up for writing the wrong books about the Holocaust, as sure. we know. They, Absolutely, they, they, they well, will lock up historians for that. Meanwhile, if you want to talk about jihad and beheading people, and they, you can do this, and in, there you can was do this in London, and you there was in, in the two thousands uh, early, 2000s, there was that kind of what they called the umbrella of protection. That was just like basically look. You don't bother us. We're not going to bother you too much. And that ended up blowing up in everybody's face. Literally. Yeah. Literally. And, I, and, I, Literally. and I know I promised that we would talk about private prison, so I want to get there. I mean, Buck, I, this isn't a gotcha. If it seems that way, if it's unfair, everyone tell me. But I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering because we haven't reconciled all of this. And usually we fix all of the world's problems here <laughs> in the space of about an hour. Um, narrowly, though, it is possible to make a bad situation worse with rash decisions. Yeah, of course it is. Okay. It's also it's also possible to make a bad situation worse with no decisions, which I think is I mean, actually probably the defining characteristic of the Obama administration in the Middle East. Uh, well, I mean, the Obama administration has actually done plenty in the Middle East. I mean, whether or not they've done too much, I think, is another debate for another time, which we can get into. But I, I actually, I no, wanted maybe take it down to Syria. I mean, that's that's, well, that's kind that's, of. I mean, that's really, that's what I that's what I was getting. I mean, you have you have a lot. You have a whole lot of. Uh, what you have a whole lot of de minimis action in Syria from the U.S. perspective. I, I don't know what a good action there would look like. I mean, look, look well, at you're seeing like it I, now. I, I, I mentioned like the Motley crew uh, down there, the folks who we were arming. The uh, what is it? The Free yeah, Syrian they did, Army. They, they did a terrible job. Um, five hundred million dollars for five fighters. Shocking. Yeah, totally, I mean that's also yeah. that's also in the. There's a difference between a strategy and the execution of a strategy, right? And the Obama administration never took particularly seriously the idea that they were going to have to do very much at all in Syria. And people look at this now. Look, the look. There's. I think you can break I just down don't very know that simply. There are good answers there. there. Well, there are no. Good, there are no good answers. I mean, the the administration would say we didn't commit large numbers of U.S. troops. I'm not Bush. That's all they care about. A lot of other people would say you have the rise of the largest, most frightening, most well organized terrorist uh, entity. I mean, really, an army and a state since mm-hmm. the Taliban were working hand in glove with Al Qaeda. And you also have 500,000 plus people killed and you have contagion across the broader Middle East. You got the Turks basically ready to go to war with the Kurds. Right. You've got I mean, it is a complete and utter disaster. You have Russia so, flying and, combat and, and, and air and combat think, missions from Iran. From Iran. That, you have, all of, all yeah, of Europe. I, I, I don't know how. It, and you have chemical gets, weapon usage, which, by the way, just today was talked about even more. And they still have chemical weapons. And all that of this is apart. totally crazy and awful. And the, and the bottom line from sort of the opposite perspective is if the United States had not gone into but that's Iraq a history afterwards. lesson it is, okay. it is it's a history okay, lesson it but it's, look, let's, let's, no, no, no. let's do the it's, syria lesson it's meaningful yeah. it forget matters. forget iraq forget iraq but but i don't i don't want to forget that because we just right. talked about the, the the horrible witch's brew which is the middle east and the question right. of whether or not it gets that way at all if you don't do that i mean it matters so so iraq is going to be I'm the not, only i'm not stable saying it's the only that, in the middle east listen that i'm not giving you everybody falling down left and right buck, i'm not buck i'm not making a ridiculous argument here and i and i don't want to say that i'm not suggesting that you were wrong the bottom line here is that that shit that you just described it's really fucking complicated yeah, and, yeah, and i don't yeah, think yeah. that the federal government right and it is its most massive bureaucracy can necessarily go into places with great plans and figure everything the fuck out. And here's, here's, the, here's the real problem here. If you tell me, look, the Republicans were doing the right things. The greatest idea in the world was to go into Iraq. We were going to fix that shit. And it was all going to be fine. Only issue is that this Obama guy shows up and then things don't work. That's part of it. Governments change hands. And at some point, if your policy is any damn good, it needs to be resilient enough to survive the normal vicissitudes of our political system. And when I hear people talk about stupid things like the Affordable Care Act, which Paul Krugman was going on about this weekend in the um, in the uh, New York Times opinion in the New York Times opinion section. Paul Krugman is describing, well, look, it's not so bad. Aetna's leaving the market, but it's not so bad. Things are pretty much fine. If not for these horrible, awful Republicans, the Affordable Care Act would be working just fine because we would be working hard to make this work, to make this government, this plan work, and we would fix the laws that are broken. Well, no, that's not how this shit works. It's hard to pass laws sometimes. So maybe it's a bad idea to implement a huge, massive bureaucratic change in the healthcare system. And 
it's hard to figure out these massive foreign policy issues. So maybe possibly we should avoid getting entangled, deeply entangled, in really messy, nasty corners well, I, of the I, universe. I, I already said that we, because we can't spent, necessarily fix they, those. They spent things. eight years not getting entangled, and this is where we are. I mean, that that's the re- we, we, except, we had eight years of not getting the, entangled, and, and then we and what did we have prior to that? We had eight years of getting deeply entangled, and I don't know that it fixed anything. I, I feel like Look, when thirty thousand when thirty thousand Iraqi troops are in Fallujah, it's your show, but and I they should, get I should respond at some. You, you can. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is getting a little my, weird. I'll be honest my, with you. I, hey, Buck, I do, I, I've, Buck, I've let you do plenty of talking. Don't do not do that to me. We're friends. Come on. I love you. I want to hug you. I just want to talk to you, too. 30,000 30, <laughs> Iraqi troops get pushed over by 3,000 um, uh, ISIS fighters who just sort of come in. Look, that is not a situation where, oh, well, they've just been neglected by the United States government. I mean, this is just a total calamity, and I don't know that there's any getting that right. Okay. Okay. Um a few things. One is I feel like this becomes an extension of the argument we were hearing for a while from the Obama administration that the economy was so bad because of Bush that even four years in when things were still bad, well, we inherited a really bad economy, right? Every commander in chief inherits a situation they probably wish was a little easier, a little better, a little more stable than it was. And they take so, too much credit so, when things go and well. And they take and... too much credit when things go well. I'm referring specifically, though, to a period of time in – well, to eight years of time now and decisions that have been made in Syria over that over that period and around Syria, by the way, because Syria policy brings in everything in the region. As we know, it also brings in things with Russia and others well, well outside of the region. And look, I think that the, the criticisms are completely fair. OK, Iraq, Iraq happened. And so that's something that was done. And then Obama says, I want to be commander in chief. I want to run the military. I want to be the most powerful person in the world. Now he is in charge of what's going on. Syria was not in the midst of a horrific, bloody civil war when President Obama took office, right? And there were a yeah. number of years there early on when more decisive action from uh, maybe even on the diplomatic front. And there's any number of things that could have been done that people were talking about, the creation of a no-fly zone, which everybody said is crazy. Well, now we've got the Turks actually launching airstrikes, unfortunately, against the Kurds as well as against uh, uh-huh. ISIS targets. But it's there, right? And we also have Kurdish forces that are on the ground that are pushing back ISIS. All of these things could have been done. We're in year eight and they're being done or year, I'm sorry, year four of of the Syrian civil war. So I feel like those are completely legitimate criticisms of decisions that are made in the context of what President Obama had to deal with. And that's the only way that you can judge administration. I feel like I feel like it's a dodge. It's too easy to say, well, it was a bad situation coming into it because of Iraq. Everything Obama does essentially is excused. No, no, I'm not letting him off the hook. Can we talk about no fly zones, though? I mean, like, no, (laughs) no fly zones were uh, kind of like a cheap. We're not really going to war war in Iraq. No fly zones were was was the uh, the gateway drug for Bill Clinton in 1997 and mm. 1998, right when the Iraqi what was it called the Liberation Act? The Iraq Liberation Act yeah. was was first uh, passed because mm. it feels like eh, it's kind of painless. We're just going to fly over this part and make sure no bad guys do things. It's it's easy to sell, right? Um, as a no fly zone, but it was also kind of a gateway drug into we have a fundamental control over a military space in this country because of its um, internal repression, which is grave and horrifying, and because of our sense of where they might be developing weapons of mass destruction, which we thought, and a lot of people, not just us, thought uh, was was well advanced at that, at that point. And I worry about this as someone who has supported U.S. military interventions over the years in places um, – not like, in Iraq. Like this room. No. Well, you've supported you've supported I would support against you uh, for the most part. Uh, well, that's, but that's inappropriate. A light, a light, like friendly kind of cupping of a... Uh, of oh, a Keep going. What? Keep going. If they could only see God. my hands. Yeah, if they could only see Shea McGowan and the oh, uh, yeah. talking about... Can, can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you because you're drunk. That's good. Um, <laughs> uh, Camille... No harm in that. I said, I said something to Camille that, you know, Iraq is history. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't – and to clarify that, it doesn't mean you can't talk about that point and, and use that as <clears throat> the sort of context of it, 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 we are in the situation. We are for a number of specific reasons because of Iraq. Great. We've, we've, we've established that. We've talked about that ad infinitum on, on this podcast in an American history in the, for the past, what, six, uh, 13 years. What you have to ask yourself, though, is what does one do? I know, I know the, the kind of anti-position. But the anti-position can't always take the anti-position is we can't do this. We can't do this. Look what happened in the past. Look what happened in Iraq, et cetera. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the, you know, 
to sort of pipeline issues. Like, you know, if we don't do this, the oil is not going to stay in the ground. Somebody else is going to take it. Like the Chinese will come in and pump the oil. It's not going to have any difference for the environment. You know, these arguments about about it's the same thing in the Middle East. If we don't do anything, the I, the idea that we that it's not going to have nothing's going to happen that you know Russian warplanes won't be involved, etc. What is the point if you're America or if you're not America, if you're Germany, where that contagion spreads and you keep saying, well, you know, Iraq was really bad in 2003. Well, yes, it was bad. Yes, it was completely fucked up in almost every possible way. And to Camille's point, he's absolutely right about it, is that I, I always thought it was amusing when Christopher Hitchens, who was, who was a friend of mine, would say, like, you know, I, I still support Iraq. I just, I just can't believe they fucked it up so bad. I'm like, this is why you should be a libertarian. They always fuck it up. You should have been <laughs> aware that this was, you know, that Kellogg, Brown, and Root was not going to make this, you know, kick back, KBR kickback and relax was not going to make, you know, Iraq this glistening city and then, you know, next three years would be a mall of America in downtown Baghdad. So it screwed up, right? So, but I get the fact that we're in this negative tor- territory all the time in which we say the past was really, really grim. Okay, but what about now? Let's say something happens where you're Germany and all of a sudden there is a mass of Syrian refugees coming into your country. So the war in Syria is directly affecting you. What if you have, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, their, geopolitics actually means something. I, people don't think it means anything. They say, like, we just got to stay out of everything. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I get what you're saying. I don't think we should be, you know, wasting American, you know, blood and treasure in pointless places. But when you have uh, Vladimir Putin's air force running sorties out of Iran, something's changed, right? When you have Turkey now encroaching and creeping in to Syria and waging war against the Kurds who they've been trying to destroy and, you know, Osalan in prison um, all the way back to PKK wars. They're trying to extend this and continue this, okay? At what point do you say, well, we have to do something? And what is that something we do? I'm very, very tired of just saying, we screwed this up in the past and we can't get involved. Well, does that apply to everybody? Does that apply to countries that are affected locally? Does that apply to countries that are affected in, in, in Germany or in sort of, you know, the Maghreb or in Italy that are, you know, assimilating, not really assimilating, sustaining these waves and waves of refugees? Somebody has to do something at this point when 500,000 people have died. The country is a total disaster. And do we sit around and, and, and twiddle our thumbs? Well, it has these ripple effects in all these close countries and countries that are a little further out. America, maybe not. Okay, I get that. Uh-huh. But but what at what point do you say that nobody should get involved and everybody should wash their hands of everything? And we talk about Iraq and Iraq and Iraq. We made mistakes. Yes, we made mistakes. But it also imagines that the Middle East was a sea of tranquility before Iraq. No, it doesn't. And none of this, no. stu- this it, stuff. No, it does. It, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> no, it does. Just, and no, no one has any idea no, about Hafez al-Assad or Bashar yeah. al-Assad or, whatever. or what was happening by the before. Way, we, we made <laughs> mistakes doesn't. in Afghanistan, too. The situation there is much worse than anybody realizes right now. Terrible. But that was also Actually, it's, it's, it's horrible in Afghanistan, but no one wants to talk about it because we all everyone seems to recognize that I'm, was a war we I'm, had to fight it I'm actually true. fine talking about that it is it is I don't mean you that, I, mean, that, I meant the American you know, people no but actually it is true that, that that people don't want to talk about ugly situations particularly when America is not involved or is could have been involved and wasn't because it's just it's it's depressing for crying out loud people are dying it's like the little syrian kid on the on the bench oh. right the picture that came out like uh, five six days ago horrifying oh the, you in the ambulance it was a what, how what, did you what, pronounce what, is that a jamaican pr- pronunciation ambulance the fuck i'm is not that? gonna say it again <laughs> yeah yeah the, i'm sorry the word is it, ambulance have the, continue have the courage your <laughs> yeah, convictions yeah. at long last what an ambulance <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. It that was, was not Michael, Michael Moynihan, black scent. However. Thank you. That was, um, <laughs> was Camille scent, and we all know you're not black. I would point out one uh, historical parallel to the time that we live in right now, which is late 70s and early 80s, mm. the kind of continuum between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, which everybody on the both the Jimmy Carter side and the Ronald Reagan side want to pretend didn't exist. They, they want to pretend that Jimmy Carter was not in favor of deregulation, which he totally was. Trucking, uh, airlines, yeah. He was actually yeah, pretty good on media too. Yeah, he was yeah, like he was yeah. ready to go. Um and also about refugee policies. Because at the end of the seventies, America was exhausted as an empire to solve Michael Moynihan's problems. 
right? They said, fuck it. We can't do it. It's not, it didn't work. Let's leave the helicopter. It's going to be a shit show, which all of it was. And then, which was followed as the Moynihan's predicted at the time, and probably even Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Probably, probably who is, DM, I think, yeah. I think your uncle. He's not my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he might have been a little bit better bred, but like, yeah. whatever. He's uh, a yeah. Moynihan, um, uh, would have said, is like, this is what we're going to see. But the, the, I mean, there's horrifying slaughter in Cambodia, a kind of genocide, concentrated genocide in Cambodia that happened after the fall of Saigon is the likes of which none of us have seen since. Not, and by the way, to, to, po- to point out was, you know, the what happened in 1975 when that last helicopter takes off and America, we have to wash our hands of this and we're going to go into this retreat now. The Khmer Rouge genocide was ended by the Vietnamese. I mean, no one remembers this. Yes. The Vietnamese in 1979 invaded Cambodia and and over and overthrew Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. I mean, yeah, we allowed that. And just by the way, to say something quickly on refugees, I am not suggesting in any way in the Donald Trump uh, sense that refugees are going to overwhelm Western Europe with terrorism. I think that Western Europe is going to be overwhelmed by terrorism from a lot of people that live there already. Right. Um, and, and does that and, mean that people and, won't and be? Absolutely I, not. But and Michael, I, it's, you I and I it's agree, a, I think, on, it's a on, financial problem. on that Angela Merkel. We agree more with Donald Trump than a lot of people who identify the, the Democratic Party in the United States that Angela Merkel screwed this thing up. She did. Um, I saw this number the other day, 60-some-odd billion euro to educate uh, immigrants, uh, 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 refugees in the next year. It's, I, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I, the, the, remember Milton Friedman's, uh, like, I'm open borders, uh-huh. provided there's no welfare state. We'll, and, we'll, we'll have look, an entire got, show yeah, based yeah, on yeah, that yeah, because yeah. that's, that's, yeah, and I think we're out of town. We've yeah. got four minutes before Buck has to walk out the door. And I do too because it's my birthday. I want to give him, <laughs> my I wanna, birthday. I want to give him something like the last word on yeah, this subject, which is totally overtaken the entire program. I'm sorry we didn't talk about private prisons, which nah, Matt totally We didn't talk loves. about burkinis, which is even more yeah. upsetting. Well, burkinis aren't sexy. Uh, well, no, I know. Uh, speak for yourself. Depends on what's wow. going on with the burkini. Wow. Okay, Buck. <laughs> G- give me, give me, uh, give me something good. Why don't you be conciliatory and, and build bridges here? <laughs> build bridges. Help us all. I believe the children of the future. That you know, we we can get there. We can make the world a better place. Give me something good, Buck. Come on. I mean, there are some things that you can look at now that should just make everybody smile. I mean, food is so much better now than it was like 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, for example. Food in non-Islamic food so, countries. No, you think about the food your parents used to take you out to go and eat. Yeah, oh, my I God. Mean, yeah, not, so true. You know, it's it like well, I mean, you eat just like disgusting hamburgers that look like they've been, you know, t- taken from some back freezer somewhere and that was remember, like a decent restaurant do you remember the, the food chili better chili size was an actual thing that you can order you, at a restaurant yeah, sure. yeah, but it's funny like totally. people people love this stranger things show which i've been i'm like in the middle of it watching it and and so i do good. have I, yeah, I watched I, the I first like episode. It. I, I, have, I, I like it, but I have, I have like nostalgia for it, but it also reminds me of like how ugly everything was in the 70s and also like how bored anybody today would have been then. Like, sure. What do you do? You just roll around in your tricycle all day? Like, There's nothing yeah. going on. You how gotta... do you walk down the street if you're not Snapchatting pictures of your balls? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Everyone's running into you know, me all the time. That is just you. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I got to yeah. keep in touch with my fans. <laughs> so we have... <laughs> your testicles. That's yeah. good. Totally. We have, we have yeah. better food, better entertainment, and... Ultimately, uh, you know, America the, America will still win in the I, end. I, I'm going to – There is much ruin in a nation. I'm going to do 30 seconds on Buck's point, which my friend Johan Norberg, from, who's uh, affiliated with Cato, uh, Swedish uh, economist, has a new book coming out called Progress about how awesome the world is. And that Johan, who is like this inveterate optimist and a very fun guy to be around, he's always so happy and he always like backs it up with numbers – and that is what, when I was at the RNC, I did not recognize about the America that was being spoken about from the stage, especially from Donald Trump, is this grim, horrifying world where it's like, if I heard that plopped out of, you know, you know, some planet and came down, I'm like, geez, I'm going to get out of this planet and you know, move to Canada or something. It looks horrible. And things aren't that bad. This is the thing. It's not that bad. It really isn't. It really isn't. No, America's pretty good right it's now. It's a pretty actually. good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. The world, the world is in fact pretty good I mean, right now. We we actually ended last show on pretty much the same note. Although Harambe, we haven't uh, talked about Harambe <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, I got to go to a dinner. Okay, so, this uh, is this is the uh, end of the program. Let's go. Um, listen, people. Happy thank birthday, you for coming. Moynihan. Thank you for thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Happy birthday to Michael Moynihan. Thank you so much, thank Buck you. Sexton, for joining thank us you, here in the studio. Love it. Thank you, Buck. Porn star name. Fantastic yeah. name. The best Buck name. Buck Sexton. In, yeah, he's the best in the Best business. name in radio. That's right.
Um, <laughs> Take it. Matt Welch, thank you for coming. You, he's giving me the finger. Two. Two, two fingers. In fact. And by which I mean index finger, children. And thanks for the beers. Yeah, and thanks for the beer. Holy cow, Ben Thanks Price. for the beer. Ben hard, knock, hard Knock Brewing Company. Except it's got to pee beer. really bad. Yeah. 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 So let's end this. All right, we're pee. done. Okay. Finished. Bye. We'll see you next week. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column. Column.